0: We are back on Magical Chapter 89 for The Chosen Journey. He is the bullpen coach of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He is the one, the only, big money grip, Steve Carsey. I'm Jonathan A. Cohen. And as promised last week, we are back to discuss, I think, one of my favorite, if not my de-favorite topics, discussing Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. And we have the ballot. It's been out for a little while. And people are buzzing saying who's gonna make the haul this year and are they worthy, not worthy? We're kind of not going that route today, Steve. Uh we're in that, you know, kind of genre where it's all the guys still, you've played with them, you know them, you probably were teammates with some. And very curious, you know, I wanted to kind of put you on a different kind of spot today. And it's like, I'll say the name. What's the first thing that comes to your head? How about that? All right, fair enough. I'll give you my take of if they're going in or not. Steve will say, I'll give you my two cents of what I know. So this ballot. Okay. So let's start off with this three first timers that are of note. This one, there was buzz a long time ago. I don't think there's any buzz anymore. If this guy's making a haul, he is the one, the only Adrian Beltre, Adrian Beltre. So Mr. Beltre, you hear that name. What's the first thing comes to your head?
1: Professional. Um, listen uh played against them obviously uh in the same era but uh never never played with him uh but you know, listen at the end of the day the things i've heard about this guy are tremendous uh tremendous teammate obviously tremendous defender uh tremendous player played for a long time and uh just went about things the right
0: way he's one of those guys that you know, without looking at the stats, you're like, okay, he was very, very good. Is he Hall of Fame worthy? And then you start looking and crunching numbers. <laughs> he was so consistent on both yes. ends of the field. Mm-hmm. My Lord, his bat, his glove. This guy did it all. Uh, I was so, so just at first glance having watched him because he was just so steady, you know? You don't need a guy who's going to hit 70 home runs every year. He's a guy who just simply did it and did it well and consistent. And you look at the doubles, you look at the home runs, the RBIs, the gold gloves. Oh, my Lord. Uh, If this guy's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, I don't know who is. Like, uh, I I think he's in 1,000%. You remember as far as did you ever strike him out? Did you ever get a home run or too far back? Too far back. Too far back. Okay. So we'll say that one's pretty easy. The next one, who for me, I think is a sure one, and I know the Twins fans are going to agree with me, is Mr. Sideburns himself, Mr. Joe Maurer.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I would say great back-to-ball skills. Like, this is a guy who, when he stepped in the box, you know what you're going to get. Uh, great great what out skills? Are it
0: cut out there. Great.
1: Back-to-ball skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, contact hitter. Uh, develop some power. Like, Uh, caught for the first quarter right or half of his career until he had uh, the injury and then uh, ended up at first base but uh, you know I think injuries derailed him a little bit Uh, he had some concussion stuff and and things like that but uh, you know a gamer a guy who uh, you knew what you were going to get when he came to the field again not a guy that I ever played with but uh,
0: was around. Another guy that just, you know, uh, he looked like, to me, you know, they call him like lunch pail guys. Yeah, yeah, Packs his lunch, goes to the park, does his job, you know. He's a guy, never heard one ounce of any negativity, controversy. He was just very professional about the way he went about it. I also kind of favor those one-team guys, you know, like the Cal Ripkins of this world, Tony Gwynn's world. It's something magical about playing like 12 years, 15 years, 20 years with one team and being synonymous with that team. And uh, Joe Maurer, I think you had to watch him and appreciate the quality of what he brought to his team and how valuable he was to his team, plus how great of a catcher he was and still such a consistent hitter. And it's one of those things that now I'm going to go to the other end of it. I don't want to look at the stats. I don't even have to look at the stats. Having watched him and appreciated it for him, he was one of the greatest catchers of his generation. So for me, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, period. Done.
1: Yeah, it should be interesting, but uh, I agree.
0: Now we start to get into a little bit more difficulty. So we've got our last first-timer, and this one, the internet's buzzing about him. I see it happening, but, uh, you know, it's, again, it's how each of those writers and voters, criteria-wise, a guy that we all really love to watch, and he's Mr. Chase Utley.
1: Yeah, like, like the first thing that comes to mind is Gamer, right? Like, he's uh, he's one of those gritty guys who goes out there and it's, uh, you know, it's get dirty, I'm going to do anything to win, move the ball, you know, move a runner over, play hard defense, uh, you know, swung the back, right? Like, he's he's a guy that, uh, you know, when you play against them, it's like, yeah, do I really like this guy? But if you play you play with him, you're like, all right, I want this guy on my team all the time. So, um you know, without knowing the numbers and having dived into like what he has done offensively, um, I, I think that, uh, like you said, it's a little bit more of a difficult decision on, on how the writers view him, but uh, without a doubt, had a tremendous career.
0: You and I can close our eyes, and without looking at the numbers, you know, in that generation, there you, you try to think on top of your head who are the top second baseman of that era. You, I think it begins and ends with him, it, he's on a very short list there. I don't, and that's where. I don't know how much it factors in Steve, but for me, I think the position does matter. If you were the top person among your peers at your position, I think that has, does have to factor into something.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't know what goes through the minds of uh, the baseball writers association and and how they, you know, go through the, go through the numbers. Uh you know analytically that to, to kind of compare them to some of the other second basements or, or other guys in his genre that uh you know would be going to the hall but uh it, it should be interesting that's for sure
0: so that's tier one tier two these are holdovers now and i had three holdovers that i thought of note one is uh todd helton do you recall ever facing todd helton
1: uh i don't recall facing him i might have uh when we played interleague play but again Early in his career, I'm an American League guy. He was a National League guy. There was no really very much crossover, him being in Colorado and then me being obviously in Oakland in the American League and then being hurt for a few years during during his time there. So um, don't remember facing him. But, again, you know, one of those guys who on the surface you look at and it's like, wow, you know, uh, lunch pail guy, blue collar, comes to the field, know what you're going to get defensively, know what you're going to get offensively. And then obviously I think this is the, the elephant in the room is like playing Colorado, right? <laughs> so how do you factor in and and statistically kind of compare that with guys who have similar numbers who didn't play half of their games uh, at high altitude? So, again, tough, tough for the writers to, to balance that out, but uh, I'm just glad I'm not making any of those decisions.
0: I will take a look at one point and take a look at his away numbers and curious because I remember, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's one of those things like, let's say, I, I'm just throwing out there, but let's say at home in the first career, he hit 350 and, and on the road, he hit 310. And let's say he hit uh, 400 home runs at home and hit uh, 200 on the road. You know, I, I recall he was still a very good hitter, you know, and I, I feel bad for those guys. And it, he didn't ask for that. It's not, that's how it was set up. That's the altitude, that's the ballpark. And I agree. I, I'm i telling you, you could bring almost any player into that era and still have him play. They're not going to put up his numbers that consistently. He was still amazing for who he was. So I think people will recognize that. And I think you will see him one day in there. A guy that I've sang a different tune on, I was kind of back and forth on this one, but having crunch numbers looking as comparables, I want to ask you in the mind of a reliever because um, Billy Wagner, um, Give us your take on Billy because you've done Billy's role. You know what it's like to close out games. Imagine for how as long as Billy did it, for the quality that Billy did it. Uh, he was pretty incredible, was he not?
1: He was great. Um, you know, I mean, again, without digging into the numbers, seeing his strikeouts per nine and saves compared to other ones, you know, how many innings he pitched and things like that. Um, you know that would help me out a little bit more to determine, like, do I really think or is it just one of those guys who's just below great, right? I mean, listen, there's no doubt, you know, it's, it's tough to do what he did. And, uh, you know, he was one of those, you know, guys in, in Houston that just uh, from the left side who threw hard, commanded the ball pretty well and was able to uh, put up fantastic numbers over his career.
0: I'll never forget that Pool host home run. <laughs> that one he will, you know, if Allen Iverson is always about practice, practice. Billy yeah. Wagner will always talk about that home run, but that was one match. That ball's still going, by the way. But it was uh Yeah, it
1: was say pretty good.
0: I've never seen a home run hit like that. That was incredible. Uh you're looking, by the way, folks, at the two members of the Andrew Jones fan club here, because I think if we had votes, pretty sure we talked about this one in the past, and uh Andrew Jones for what he did. I'm a little surprised he's not in already. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Andrews was a tremendous player, hard worker, uh, super talented. I mean, tremendous outfielder. I mean, I've never seen anybody play so shallow and be able to track down balls with ease, with such ease, when they were hit over his head. He was, he was just very gifted in that uh, area to be able to read the ball off the bat, take great routes, and, uh, you know, be able to get balls, that maybe some guys today just wouldn't even be, be close to. So, um, you know, again, without looking at the numbers offensively, what has he done over his career? How consistent that was, but uh, you know, another guy that uh, it's really hard not to look at him and say how great he was. And and does he have an opportunity to get in?
0: You know, I brought up before the comparables of, uh, if uh, Aldi Smith is in Omar Vizquel is in. And when I come back to Billy Wagner, Lee Smith is in, Billy Wagner's in then, you know, I, I, I like using the comparable factors and I look at who is actually in and what they were about. And I know it's different eras sometimes, but you look at it and you look at those numbers, you're saying, man, I, I can see it now. So I'm still waiting for my hall of fame vote, Steve, but I don't think it's coming in the mail anytime soon. Uh, well, he was
1: one I did play with Andrew. So in, in Atlanta, so seeing him on an everyday basis and, and understanding, you know, what, what he did and how he went about it. Yeah, is is impressive
0: so having spent time with him in the clubhouse shaking the man's hand talking to him if you had one or two words to describe andrew jones what would you describe him as
1: smooth cool quiet but big time competitor
0: and always seemed very respectful like i've watched interviews with him he just seems very respectful yeah he was um, yep a man who, may, I, I he's been accused of many things, but humble's probably not. He's the one, the only Gary Sheffield. And uh, I remember meeting Gary Sheffield back when he was a rookie with the Brewers moons ago. And him telling us that uh, Uncle Dwight told him not to sign autographs and uh, Dwight being Dwight Gooden, obviously. Um, the chef, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he played on a lot of teams. For a guy as talented and the numbers that he had, he moved around a bit and you look at the totality of the numbers and the man had a great career at the end of the day. He did. And him, I remember it because it was him and Griffey, him and Griffey were one and two and people talking about who's going to be the better player at the end of the day. You know, everybody's got those comparisons, right? Um, In every sport, you know, when you come up together and you know, Sheffield had nothing to sneeze at the end of the day. I think if, if anything else, it was his confidence helped him to be a stronger player and work as hard as he did, but at that same confidence that maybe not everybody understood, you know, um, uh, did you ever play with chef? Did you ever, uh, uh, yeah,
1: chef in New York. Okay. Oh, no. Great. I mean, listen, uh, came to the bark every day to play, right? Like, uh, he definitely was a grinder. You know, he was, he was one of those guys who wasn't going to get cheated at the plate. Uh, you know, had a unique stance, um, and and yeah yeah waggle of the bat but uh boy could he turn it on inside fastball? well like he couldn't sneak the cheese by him at, at all and he was ready for it all the time so uh he was fun to play with i had a short time with him but uh at the end of the day uh you know i would i would take him for sure on my team
0: well then i guess number i got two questions for you number one as a pitcher late in the game uh he's a guy coming up the bat uh probably not that excited right
1: (laughs) no of course not i mean when a guy can hit a fastball like that and he can do damage i mean
0: uh you
1: know you got to be careful with with guys like that especially if they're hot or if they're in their prime and 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 they're uh you know going through a hot streak so yeah of course i mean he's he's one of those guys who uh for any pitcher you know you you have to be careful
0: about all fame voters are listening in right now they say steve carsey you were in the clubhouse with him give me one or two words to describe chef how would you describe him?
1: uh boisterous outgoing uh let you know what he's thinking at the time um so you know chef wasn't a chef wasn't afraid to speak his mind and and that's what makes him who he is
0: for the aura that was chef never heard of him being a b- bad teammate it seems like people no, like to go not people a bad like, teammate. people like to go to war with him he's a guy you yeah. want in your lineup Absolutely. All right. We're down to our last three. Carlos Beltran. Go.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, again, never played with him, but uh, t- tremendous player. I mean, you know, on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, played in a few different spots, Was came up with some big hits, like was Johnny on the spot many a times and, and was clutch. So uh, it's it's really hard to you know, say anything bad about it the way he played the game and, and and how he went about his business.
0: That series with the Astros, he was as it was like playing a computer game. It was <laughs> I've never seen anything like this in my life. Like he was as automatic of a hit as you get. Like he the ball looked like a beach ball to him at that point. Like wow. And uh he was a really fun guy to watch on both sides. Like, you know, defensively the guy was incredible. He was a magician out there.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Uh, I know this guy you you like a lot. I know you uh, you know him pretty well, and he is Mr. Andy Pettit.
1: Yeah, tremendous, tremendous guy. Like, uh, stand-up, competitor, uh, you know, always wants the ball. And, uh, listen, another guy that, uh, you know, always started, it seems like, game two and game six of the playoffs during their run and came up with monstrous outings for the New York Yankees to keep them in series and and to push it to uh, another game or even up the series. So, you know, this guy, he's uh, he's, he's the top of the top when it comes to character, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, just an overall gentleman of the game. And, uh, you know, but saying that, he was the one of the higher competitors that uh, I ever played with.
0: I always marveled how a team could let him walk away. You know, I know there's money and there's family considerations and everything else, but you got a player like that on your team and you're not able to re-sign him. And any team that got him, like in his generation, I close my eyes, Steve, I can't think of many other pitchers I'd want starting a playoff game for me than him. If there's an elimination game and he's pitching for me, I'm feeling really good about it.
1: I agree. Like I just said, you know, if the Yankees were down 1-0 during that stretch, he was game two starter. It was 1-1. Like he delivered when it mattered most.
0: And we had Pat Combs on, a uh, former MLB pitcher, and he had his book, right? And uh, he uh, his forward was by Eddie Pettit. Yes. And talk about how Andy Pettit is a man of God and a family man. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, people get bumps in the road and situations happen. The one thing I'll say, you know, from, uh, and and this happens, you know, in all sports, but from Andy's perspective, anything that ever came up, Andy always took accountability for himself, didn't try to blame others. He was forthright with everything and he handled it the right way, you know, and think about any of us in any of our industries. When something comes up, you notice how the people that don't get ahead in life are the ones that seem to blame others for everything. And the ones that do get ahead are the ones that say, hey, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to be accounting for who I am. Andy was like that. And uh, I think he owned up to where it was. And, you know, at the end of the, day, the baseball hall of fame folks, you know, I'll say this on my personal note is about baseball accomplishments and what happened on the field. And my hall of fame has to have an independent in there. Like it feels very empty without him. So I look forward to the day where he does get in. And I, if I if my money was riding on Vegas. This man is getting in one day and That'll be a fun induction speech to listen to because he's a like, great speaker. I hope
1: at. I hope he I hope he gets in. Like that would be one of my my favorite, you know, reads. If I read, picked up a paper, looked on the internet, and saw that Andy got into the Hall of Fame.
0: Our final list uh, name on the list is one of Steve's and I favorites. Actually, we have discussed him at lengths off the air, and his candidacy, and he is the one, the only Bobby Abreu. So Bobby Abreu. Ooh. You know, the uh, Devil Rays back in the day kind of fell asleep at the wheel there a little bit with him. And he found his way to Houston, Philadelphia. And uh, you look at, you know, the one name that came up was Tony Gwynn, right? And Tony Gwynn, what Tony Gwynn was of his generation. And you marvel at Tony Gwynn and what this man accomplished, right? Like, you have sent me stats. I've talked to you about it. And yeah. it's like, yeah. the man did not strike out. Ever, like ever. It's incredible. And he was a hitting machine. If you take Tony Gwynn as the hitting machine and you take Bobby Abreu as the walking machine and you look at their stats and take aside the hits and walks and then take all the other stats, they seem like they're the same person almost. Um, It's one of those things that it's a different generation and understanding, but any team at his peak, any team would have taken a Bobby Abreu hitting number. I mean, I think number two would be an ideal spot for him because he's on base machine and I can't say good enough stuff about Bobby Abreu.
1: Yeah, he was a journeyman, right? Like he bounced around a lot, but everywhere he went, he was consistent and put up numbers. And, and those numbers added up to uh, a really fine career. You know, is it obviously good enough to get into the hall of fame? I mean, obviously not up to this point, but uh, you know, I think if they dig in and get closer to you know, the analytical portion of it, they they might find something there that uh, gives him a little bit of bump, but at the end of the day,
0: we'll, we'll see how that goes. Like, I, I don't know the numbers exactly, but I would say Steve that I have a better shot of going to Vegas and playing the slots and hitting three jackpots in a row than playing MLB baseball for 15 to 20 seasons. Like you, you've talked before about how difficult it is just to play one game in the show. Just to make it to one game, when somebody's making it for 15, 20 years, so many things have to go right. And, you know, you got the Burt Blyleves in this world that the guy – I think he ended up playing 22 seasons, not mistaken, somewhere yeah. around there yep, and yep. for a pitcher. And you know what? If somebody was fairly consistent and was able to make it that long versus somebody that, let's say, you got the Ralph Kyners in this world that had 40 home runs a year but only played like 9, 10 seasons, I see value in both. You know, both mm-hmm. – 'Cause there there's something that was said about sustainability being able to do that. And Bobby Brady played for a lot of years, was great for his teams. And uh I hope to see him there. Uh you ever call facing him on the mound?
1: I don't recall facing him either.
0: If he did, I bet you he took a walk more than likely. <laughs> like uh, probably side. probably right.
1: I mean, like listen, I have a hard time remembering yesterday. Never mind, you know, twenty, twenty five years ago facing certain guys. There's, there's certain things that stick out, but uh, you know, overall thinking back about certain guys and certain teams, sometimes just doesn't come to mind.
0: The, the Hall of Fame voting is going in different directions. People are opening themselves uh, differently in how they analyze players and what they value and look, we looking at war and looking at defensive versus offensive games and speed, et cetera. And uh, I think over the next five years, a lot of people that got overlooked, we're going to see more and more people going in and that's a good thing. And uh it's a big honor at the end of the day. I've watched the induction ceremonies and, you know, for somebody you think, you know, was very cocky and somebody that, you know, even at Ricky Henderson, this world, when they're there, it's really humbling to be among the greats of the game and watching that. And that's a beautiful thing. It's an honor for them, their family. Think about Steve, every single coach, every, you know, from your personal experience, those high school coaches and elementary school and people went to college, university and you played in the show and the minors, every single person who ever touched you when that person makes the hall of fame, I feel like those people along the journey go to the hall of fame as well.
1: Well, there's no doubt about it. Like, listen, as a player, when you get to the big leagues, no matter how long you play, there's so many people that touch you along the way and teach you something. It's not one person. Um, you know, and and I learned that very young in my coaching career is, you know, you have a guy and you start off with that guy and then you pass him to the next pitching coach up there. And then he touches them in a, in a certain way. And then he goes to double A and that guy coaches them in a triple A and big leagues. Like, so there's so many people involved. And, you know, as a player, sometimes you don't realize that, but when it all comes to a head at the very end, if you're that good and you get into a hall of fame and you get to reflect on things like that, you start to realize, well, this guy helped me here. This guy helped me here. I was going through a rough patch five years into the big leagues and we made this adjustment with this coach and he helped me get to the next level. Uh, there's so many people that, uh, you know, are, are are involved in the maturation process of your career that, uh, you know, you just, you just know, know who it's going to be.
0: I've been at NHL games. I've been at MLB games where at the end of the game, let's say in an NHL game, a player uh, salutes one of his high school coaches or his college coaches and hands them the game puck. I've seen MLB game where a coach uh, uh, throws to the player and it's the player that he coached. And now this kid is now in the big leagues and those coaches are bawling their eyes, like bawling their eyes. Like, you know, they're coming from a small town and they knew the family and seeing their protege in the show, whatever level of sports it is, it's must be the most unbelievable feeling.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's gotta be like, right. You, you feel like you're just a piece of what that guy is to where he has gotten. And you know, if there's just one little bit of knowledge you gave him or something you said to him, uh, during the process of, of his career, um, and that that stood with them whether that's being gritty whether that's being competitive it doesn't matter what it is or a, a small little tweak in their mechanics or their swing and, and they're involved in it it's, it's a special moment for for those coaches to understand hey man like I'm super proud of these guys because as coaches that's what we want to do we want to develop these young men into leaders we want to develop these young men uh, in, into people of the community. And we want to develop these young men into the best baseball players that they can, that they can be to achieve their dream. And, uh, it just, it feels really good when you see some of these guys get that opportunity.
0: And this is a great ending for this episode, because these are players that you've played with or played against. And Steve has now transitioning, uh, you know, your life and been in coaching uh, for several years and come back to the game. Uh, you will start to see over the years those players going into Cooperstown that you touched as a coach as well, and that's going to be a pretty cool feeling as well. So, uh, I mark my words, it will happen one day, and you may even be in that deduction ceremony, and they'll give you that wink, you know. Uh, yeah, Josh Hader 2035 Cooperstown, we'll see. So, fantastic, and you know what? Uh, I, I, you told me before about a human being that he is, and you know, working with him in Milwaukee, and uh. You know, that's that's uh, one of those things. You work with a player, you see where they mature, and it's always been a, I, you've always uh, sparkled your eyes when you talked about, you know, working with him together and seeing where he went. And uh, now you'll have your proteges in uh, Anaheim, and, uh, you know, the journey will continue. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. He's Steve Carsey, the bullpen coach of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I'm Jonathan A. Cohen. This has been the Chosen Journey. Please hit the subscribe button, like button, and send your comments for Steve Carsey as always. And we'll see you back soon on The Chosen Journey.
1: See you soon.